There. Welcome to our Soul Food Broadcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Chapter 14, if you can, please stand when you get that. Go down to verse 16. Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was a multitude melting away, and they went here and there. And Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the rolls who has gone from us. When they had called the rolls, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here, for at that time the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened, while Saul talked to the priests, that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase, so Saul said to the priests, Withdraw your hand. And Saul and all the people who were with him assembled, and they went to the battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was very great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country. They also joined the Israelites, who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel had hidden the mountains of Ephraim. When they had heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. The men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. Now all the people of the land came to a forest, and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come to the woods, there was the honey dripping. But no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. Therefore he stretched out the end of his rod that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put it to his mouth, and his countenance brightened. And one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with the oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. But Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance is brightened because I taste a little of the honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found. For now would they have not had much, a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? Now they had driven back the Philistines that day from Michmash to Agilon, so the people were very faint. And the people rushed on the spoil and took sheep, oxen, and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, saying, Look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. So he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone to me this day. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Bring me here every man's ox and every man's sheep. Slaughter them here and eat, and do not sin against the Lord by eating the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Father, just like Eugenie sang, we are so thankful that you are with us, that you will never leave us, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Write that upon our hearts this morning, I pray, Lord. Now bless your word, Father, and I pray that it would make a change in each one of us here. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
I've decided to implement some new rules for those attending Calvary Chapel. Failure to abide by these rules can result in excommunication. Here we go. There is now mandatory attendance for Sunday school, Sunday mornings, home groups, and Wednesday night Bible study. If you have a doctor's excuse, that doctor must be recognized by the church board as a doctor in good standing as determined by, well, me. You must also present your income tax return to determine the correct amount of tithe you owe, and your giving must match your income. Forget all that stuff David Haynes said about money. Men must wear a tie on Sunday mornings, and women must wear dresses at all meetings, although we will allow you to wear pants under your dress at the church picnic. We are not completely unsympathetic to your needs. Women must also wear hats on Sunday mornings. Now, these hats can't have any logos on them. I'm talking the big hats with pieces of fruit and flowers the way that God intended. (laughs) Women will be disciplined if they are wearing too much makeup, or in some cases, if they're not wearing enough makeup. (laughs) Pastor John and I will have an unannounced refrigerator inspection each month to look for alcohol. Also, please be advised that card playing and cable TV is likewise prohibited. The 1995 updated New American Standard Bible is the only translation approved for study and or teaching as it is the one that I prefer, so it must be the best. Members who fall asleep during the sermon must sit on the platform behind me the following Sunday. Business meetings will be at the discretion of the pastor. Any disagreement will result in chastisement. Gossip, gluttony, lust, cursing, and other sins of that nature will result in a monetary fine to be determined by the pastor, henceforth to be known as the wages of sin tax. No Virginia Tech hats, coats, ties, shirts, or decorations of any kind will be allowed on church property as we all know that God is a Mountaineer fan. Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. Isn't legalism a wonderful thing? I don't know if you've ever had the misfortune of going to a church like the one that I've just described. It will always turn ugly when any man tries to enforce his will upon those that he is over. More than that, the damage can linger for many years. There are people that attend Calvary Chapel this morning who have been treated terribly in some of the churches that they have attended. In fact, it is only by the grace and mercy of God that they have decided to give church one more chance. And I'm well aware as a pastor that the currency that I handle is in human lives. And if I ever cease to pastor you in the correct way, I pray God would remove me before I do any more damage to you. We're going to see this morning how King Saul is going to issue a decree that while it appears outwardly religious only served to cause those under him to actually engage in sinful behavior. Look at verse 16 with me. Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was the multitude melting away, and they went here and there. And Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. 
If you recall from last week, Jonathan and his armor bearer were used by God to bring a slaughter to the Philistine army. But now it's time to move back up, away from all this action, to the higher ground further south to Gibeah, where Saul was still sitting under his pomegranate tree. Saul himself did not see what was happening across the valley in Michmash. Presumably he wasn't even watching. He had people to do that kind of thing for him. It says there that the multitude of the Philistines were melting away. And that is a great metaphor. The solid, terrifying Philistine force had turned to water, and now it was running in every direction. Saul and his 600 men were back in Gibeah where Saul lived, and the watchmen on the walls could surely see the Philistine forces retreating, yet they couldn't explain why. They must have wondered if part of the Israeli army had engaged in a sneak attack without Saul's permission. So they decided to do a roll call and see just how many hundreds of their men must surely be missing. Imagine their surprise when the only people missing were Jonathan and his armor bearer. Now, if you recall, this is the second time that Jonathan has acted upon, out on his own, and it probably irritated Saul that his son could be so independent. And as we study the life of Saul, we will see more and more evidence that he is what some people would call a control freak. He envied other people's successes, and he was suspicious of any strategy he didn't originate or at least approve of. And he was ruthless when it came to removing people who challenged his leadership or who dared to expose his folly. Verse 18, please. And Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here, for at that time the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priests that the noise which was in the group of the Phil- or in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priests, Withdraw your hand. And Saul and all the people who were with him assembled, and they went to the battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was very great confusion. Saul asked the priest to bring the ark of the Lord and probably also the ephod to determine God's will in this matter. He is probably planning to take the ark to the battlefield with the army, which was a foolish tactic that had also brought judgment in the days of Eli. And as we have seen before in the days of Samuel, the children of Israel had treated the ark sort of like a religious rabbit's foot, thinking that it would help them win their battles. But in spite of Saul's action in wanting to bring out the ark, we see that God will still reward Jonathan's faith with a victory over the enemy. But the priest never even had a chance to determine God's will, for when Saul heard the battle, the noise of the battle increasing, he interrupted the divine proceedings and made his own decision, and so he told the priest to withdraw his hands. In other words, don't worry about bringing the ark. The noise from the valley had apparently assured him that the Philistines were now in big trouble, and so he dropped his interest in the ark. Or we could say, since things were looking so good, he decided that he no longer needed the help and the guidance of God. And that's a real danger for us also this morning. We should not only seek God when things look bad, We should also seek him when we feel like nothing can go wrong. Because I've learned over the years that it doesn't take very long for things to go terribly wrong when I start trusting in Bill Scott apart from the Lord. Well, you might think I'm a mess now, 
But this is the saved and somewhat sanctified Bill Scott you're dealing with. The old one was a lot worse. If not for Christ, my tombstone could have read, Instant Jerk, Just Add Alcohol. But once again, Saul's impatience and self-confidence got the best of him, and he acted without knowing God's will or receiving God's blessing. Saul's emotional imbalance and his contradictory thinking will show up again and again and do great damage to the kingdom. One day he'll rush ahead like a horse, and the next day he'll hold back like a mule. Verse 21. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they had heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. I want you to note that these were Hebrews we're talking about, the very people of Israel who had already joined forces with the Philistines. Why? Because they couldn't stand against the enemy in their own strength, and so they decided just to give up and join the enemy instead. And that still happens today. There are a lot of people who have backslidden, who have grown cold in their relationship with the Lord, because they tried to fight Satan in their own power and cannot do so, and so they eventually just gave up. But the glorious thing is that we learn from this story When those who haven't given up stand up and actually fight, God can begin to bring the victory. And we'll see some of those who fell into sin come back to God and once again join the fight. As this amazing victory unfolded, the Israelites who previously had sided with the enemy suddenly found the courage to change alliances. Others, hiding away because they were intimidated, left their caves and also began to move in glorious unity. It only took two men who were willing to say, let's go out and see what the Lord might do to cause fearful men to once again join the battle. Just two young men moving out on a maybe. I wonder who is young of heart this morning. I wonder who is tired of the mundane and the predictable, tired of that which is easy to do in our own energy. Maybe the Lord is saying to you, There's something I want to do in you that is also ground-shaking, something that will cause other people to once again be drawn back to me. I wonder who God is speaking to even right now. Verse 24, please. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. Now all the people of the land came to a forest, and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had came into the woods, there was the honey dripping. But no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. I've learned in life, you have to be very careful with what comes out of your mouth. Like that man that was walking on the beach, and one day he found a bottle half buried in the sand. He decided to open it and... Out popped a genie. You probably anticipated that. The genie said, I will grant you three wishes. The man thought about it and he said, Okay, I want one million dollars. Poof. 
There in front of him was a stack of $100 bills. Next, he wished for a red Ferrari. Poof! Don't you love my sound effects? There was the car sitting right in front of him. He thought for a minute, and a big smile came across his face, and he said, For my last wish, I want to be irresistible to women. Poof! He was turned into a box of chocolates. (laughs) You have to be careful about what you say. And King Saul is a perfect example of this. And we take up the account of that day in verse 24, where the narrator does something that Bible writers often do. He breaks into the story with a flashback, telling us about something that had happened earlier. Because now is when we need that information, where it says, And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day. They were understandably terrified of the Philistine threat. And this highly stressed situation had caused many of the Israelites to desert Saul. Then we are told what Saul did right now, presumably to avoid the mass desertion that he had suffered earlier. He decided to impose a religious vow upon everyone when he said, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. Once again, we see Saul in desperate circumstances taking desperate measures. We cannot help noticing the contrast between his words and what we heard from Jonathan, his son, last week. Jonathan last week said, It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. How different. Cursed is the man who eats food until evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. The man who did not obey God in chapter 13 now made no reference to God and expressed no confidence in God. And he was obsessed with avenging himself on his enemies and coercing his people into supporting him. All that was a flashback to help us to understand what we're about to witness next. Now, we all know that the people who went into battle with Saul did so with empty stomachs under Saul's oath to eat nothing until the fighting was over. Saul had zeal, but it was a misguided kind of zeal. And the Bible speaks to this. Speaking of the nation of Israel, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10:2, For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based upon knowledge. This is King Saul right now. He may have had zeal, but his command to not eat was not based on knowledge. Even today it is said that an army marches on its stomach. Saul's heart was not right with God, and so he foolishly forced the army to agree to a vow of fasting until the evening. Now, he didn't impose this fast because it was the will of God, but because I think he wanted his soldiers to think that he was a man who was wholly dedicated to the Lord. But this command was only more evidence of Saul's confused and superstitious faith. He thought that their fasting, plus the presence of the ark, would impress the Lord and that then he would have to give them victory. The thing is, Jonathan and his armor bearer were already enjoying victory without either the ark or the fast. Now, no sensible commander would deprive his troops of food and energy while they were fighting the enemy. 
Now, if the Lord commands it, then he would give the strength needed. But God gave Saul no such commission. Look at verse 25 again. Now, all the people of the land came to a forest, and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey dripping. But no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. The Israelites had been engaged in hand-to-hand combat, so they had to be starving by now. They were hungry, and honey was right there for the taking. Now, it's one thing to be hungry, but it's quite another when you find yourself surrounded by sweet, dripping honey that you're not allowed to touch. Let me bring it closer to home. Imagine you're in the woods famished, and you turn the corner, and you see that the ground is covered in honey buns and snowball cakes and my favorite, the Little Swiss Debbie Rolls. Now, you guys know that I'm not outdoorsy, but even I would take up camping in that enchanted forest. Look at verse 27 with me. But Jonathan had not heard his father's charge of people with the oath. Therefore, he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it in a honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his countenance was enlightened. We are told in Psalm 19.10 that the law of the Lord is sweeter than honey. But it is the Saul mentality that says... You don't have time for honey. You don't have time for devotions. You don't have time to go to Bible study. There's work to do. The business needs attention. The car needs waxing. You don't have time to stop and eat. The Lord, however, would say, you need to slow down and take time to eat the honey of the Word if you're going to overcome and overtake the enemy. Simply put, we have no chance of beating the enemy in the power of our own flesh. Jonathan's eyes, it says, were enlightened, meaning that he was energized. You see, honey was the Old Testament equivalent to Red Bull. Now, we also know that Scripture says the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, Psalm 19.8. And in this dark world that we travel, that is one thing that we definitely need and that is enlightenment. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, the Apostle Paul writes, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The three descriptive words in that passage is light, knowledge, and glory. Allow me to read to you the words of Ravi Zacharias concerning this passage. It is by far the absolute keenest insight I've ever came across concerning these verses. He writes, The pursuit of the Hebrews was represented and symbolized by light, with such passages like, The Lord is my light and my salvation. The people that have sat in darkness have seen a great light. The pursuit of the Greeks was symbolized by knowledge, That's why the biblical writers say, these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. Rome was impressed with glory, the glory of the city of Rome, the glory of the city that wasn't built in a day. For the Hebrews, it was light. For the Greeks, it was knowledge. For the Romans, it was glory. And here we have it. The Apostle Paul, a Hebrew by birth, a citizen of Rome, living in a Greek city, had to give them the model of his ethic. And so he says this, 
God who caused the light to shine out of darkness has caused his light to shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus our Lord. For the Apostle Paul, the ultimate ethic was not an abstraction, not merely symbolized by light, not merely by knowledge, not merely by glory, but in the very face of our Lord. That, my friends, is what you call brilliant. And isn't that what we need this morning? For God's light to shine into our hearts and give us the knowledge of the glory of God. I pray, do that for us, O God. Verse 28, please. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. But Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found. For now would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines. Now we see someone finally informs Jonathan of the oath that his father made. And you wonder, why hadn't somebody warned Jonathan sooner? Well, perhaps they had hoped that his innocent disobedience would have opened the way for all of them to eat. However, Jonathan wasn't too worried, and he even dared to admit that his father's leadership had brought trouble upon the nation of Israel. The utter stupidity of his father's oath is, was very clear to Jonathan. He says if the people would have eaten clearly from the spoil of their enemies, an even greater victory could have occurred. The fighting itself had been made easy by the panic of the terrified Philistines. But while they were fainting from hunger, Jonathan was invigorated by a sugar buzz. Verse 31, please. Now they had driven back the Philistines that day from Michmash to Agilon, so the people were very faint. And the people rushed on the spoil and took sheep, oxen, and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. It's fair to assume with the Philistines fallen and fleeing, Saul's abstinence oath no longer applied since he had been avenged of his enemies. So the fainting troops therefore desperately grabbed for the food from the spoils that had been left from the fleeing Philistines. But in their frantic grab for food, presumably because of the desperation caused by Saul's oath, the people overlooked a long-standing God-given prohibition that went all the way back to the days of Noah. It was clearly written in God's law for Israel. They were not to eat meat with the blood still in it. Blood represented life and was to be used in all the atoning sacrifices. But the people gave no thought to God's law on this matter, and they rushed to satisfy their craving for food. So hungry were these people that they ate the food before them. But it was the food of the enemy. It was unclean. It wasn't kosher. It wasn't prepared properly. And you know what? The same thing happens to me. If I don't partake of the meat of the word, the word, I'll end up eating the unclean meat of the world. I would exhort us all to eat the honey and the meat of Scripture before we get so discouraged that we begin to delve in, into carnal stuff. The best thing you can do to remain healthy and happy is to eat of the honey and the meat of the word on a regular basis. It will keep you from eating the putrid and rotting meat that the world would offer. Verse 33, 
Then they told Saul, saying, Look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. So he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone to me this day. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Bring me here every man's ox and every man's sheep. Slaughter them here and eat, and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Saul's foolish vow not only weakened the soldiers physically and hindered their ability to pursue the enemy, but it also created in his men an abnormal craving for food. I think that a truly spiritual vow will bring out the best in people, but Saul's carnal vow brought out the worst. So obedience to Saul's silly oath now led to mass disobedience to God's law. So what would happen now? Now keep in mind that it was Saul who kept the honey from the people, but now he is blaming the people for his sin. And once again, he's assuming the role of a priest, trying to correct the situation in a way that he's not called to do. That is so symptomatic of what happens when we try to fix things in the power of our own flesh. The man who did not obey God in chapter 13 and expressed no confidence in God when he faces enemies and who also devised a crazy plan by starving his troops now suddenly sounds so concerned about these people's act of disobedience. He tried to put it right by playing the priest and building an altar where the animals could be slaughtered and bled properly. But there is not the slightest suggestion that he saw how he was the one who had caused the problem. And as we close, our task over the next few weeks won't be an enjoyable one as we watch the character of King Saul steadily worsen. He's already demonstrated his unbelief and impatience, and we're further going to see his disobedience and his dishonesty. And Saul's history will climax with the king visiting a witch and then committing suicide on a battlefield reminding us that the Bible gives us good examples to follow and bad examples to avoid. And, Father, that is what your word is for. It is written, Lord, that we might have life. We might know how to walk. In Sunday school, Lord, this morning we learned that he who loves you keeps your commandments. We can only know your commandments, Lord, by by regularly feeding upon your word and knowing what we need to do. Give everyone in here, Father, a heart to know you and a heart to love your word that we may meditate upon it day and night. Ask in Christ's name, amen.